Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm joined today by James Daynard for the start of short-term rental week. I feel like we need like echoey music for that or some sort of big (laughs) announcement for our first ever short-term rental week. I've talked about this with Henry, James. Are you a short-term rental guy staying in one, not investing in them? Do you like staying in short-term rentals or do you prefer hotels? Uh, I have no problem staying in them. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely good staying with them, but I go with whatever's cheapest, uh, is, is what I go with, especially when I'm traveling for work. Now, if I'm with my wife and kids, they like hotels, the amenities yes. trump it all. And so we do hotels on vacation, but I will do them. If I can find them and they're cheaper in hotels, I will definitely rent them. That is something uh, to get that we'll get into throughout this week, but it's interesting to see how Airbnb and hotel prices compared to one another. Because I think Airbnb started as sort of this like cheaper uh, option, but both have gotten so expensive that it's, you never know, depending on what market you're in, which is actually a better deal. Yeah, I feel like for me, I look on both and they, they, they seem like they're about the same. But one thing I have learned, if you plan ahead, it's way cheaper than hotels. If you're doing it last minute, it ends up being flush. So whatever I can do to save a dollar is what I'm chasing. Yes, of course. Well, this week we have two excellent episodes for you to talk about short-term rentals. Today, James and I are going to be interviewing Jesse Stein, who is the global head of real estate for Airbnb. So we're going to be talking about what's going on in the short-term rental market. And Jesse's also going to share with us a couple of strategies, new developments, new products at Airbnb 
that I think are really interesting, particularly for investors and particularly for people who are just trying to get into short-term rental investing right now. Um, they have a new product line that we're going to get into. So that's what we got for you today, interview with Jesse Stein. And then on Friday, for our second episode this week, we are bringing on Vacasa, which if you don't know, is one of the largest property management firms uh, for short-term rental industry. And they're going to be sharing with us some research about the best markets to invest in for short-term rentals. So we'll be diving into market data on Friday. So hopefully these two shows combine will help you understand the state of the short-term rental industry and where the market is going in 2024 and what opportunities might exist. James, are you ready? I'm ready. You know, I really do love this concept we're jumping into. It's save money, reinvest it. It's a great way to do it. All right. Well, with no further ado, then let's bring on Jesse Stein, Airbnb's global head of real estate. I'm curious. Have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Jesse, welcome to On The Market. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you guys for having me. I look forward to the conversation. Well, we're excited about it. So Jesse, you have a very cool title. You are the global head of real estate for Airbnb. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, what does the global head of real estate for an asset-like company actually do? Because we don't own any real estate. I didn't want to say that, but yes, that's true. (laughs) But uh, I joined Airbnb from the private equity community. I used to lead investments for a private equity company investing in hotels. I did that for... uh, roughly a decade. I was really brought on to be the conduit between the institutional real estate community and Airbnb. Hmm. Airbnb has grown from zero to 7 million listings uh, with never, without ever partnering or creating opportunities to partner with large institutional real estate investors. So I was really brought on to create a team, to come up with new verticals, 
to uh, bring the institutional real estate community to partner with Airbnb. And that's kind of been my role for the last couple of years. And my team consists of software engineers, policy individuals, marketing individuals, um, as well as a go-to-market team. So across all assets, I'm basically a general manager within Airbnb in the real estate area. Very cool. That's pretty vast. That's the the, the bigger money in the Airbnb space. Um, hey, Jesse, real quick. I So you came from the hotel business. How similar is the hotel business to the Airbnb, or is it a totally different game when you're looking at operating those? You know, I would say it's different. Uh, I have different roles in each different organization. And when I was in the hotel space, I was in charge of investments. So I was really running around the country looking for opportunities to buy real estate, renovate real estate, uh, stabilize real estate and sell real estate. So it was very uh, detail oriented on a micro market. So for your consumers, if they're looking to buy a single family home or they're looking to buy a duplex, I was basically doing that on behalf of institutional real uh, institutional investors, uh, mostly college endowments. So at Airbnb, it's a little bit different. Airbnb, uh, you know, the overall offering, we are a travel company at this point in time. We are starting to blend into more of a living company, but the majority of our business is travel, which is akin to hotels. But over 50% of our nights booked are for stays over seven nights at a time across Airbnb. When In our hotels, the hotels we owned, I don't think we ever had to stay over seven nights in any of our hotels. Uh, we were an urban hotel company. Uh, the name was Kempton Hotels. And it was you know mostly corporate consumers staying for two or three nights. And then we got the leisure consumer on the weekends. At Airbnb, it's really a different use case for travel. And that's kind of accelerated with, uh, with COVID. So similar dynamics and also different because now I'm overseeing a team, which is growing supply, where previously I was leading a team to actually make investments and dispose of real estate and make returns for our investors. Jesse, I do want to jump into what you and your team are doing, but given the name of this show and the focus of this show, I want to just take a step back before we talk about what's next and just talk about what's going on in the short-term rental industry. Is there anything Airbnb and you and your team have uncovered that you think our audience, a lot of whom are short-term rental investors, should know about market trends? You know, from a macro perspective, the marketplace has never been stronger. Uh, in Q2 of uh, 2023, yes, that's, that's the year we're in. I lose track of time sometimes. Q2 of 2023, we you know grew our host base more than we've ever grown our host base from a nominal perspective. And consumers booked more uh, nights and experiences than ever before. So the marketplace is strong and we are continuing to grow. So I would say that the consumer is now may have less disposable income than they did historically, but they're choosing to, to uh, spend that income on travel and experiences where during COVID it was more, you know, on Home Depot, renovating a house, so on and so forth. Uh, today, the consumer strong. The consumer is traveling on Airbnb and our hosts are taking, uh, looking at the opportunity to host to keep up with the cost of living and the cost of inflation. And it's really a healthy marketplace at this point in time. And I think that's that's fairly interesting right now because, you know, I think a lot of people's perception is that it's not, right? Because the transactions have slowed down, travel slowed down a little bit. 
Have you seen in a lot of that sometimes just all mental where people are like, okay, this is going bad. I'm going to shift out. And it kind of becomes this trend or in the headlines, people try to, you know, they, they put the rainy day out and all these investments. Have you seen many hosts pull out recently because of changes, even though it's strong? I feel like we've been seeing some operators selling off their properties over the last six, 12 months, wanting to get out of the space, which really contradicts if it's strong, you'd almost want to keep your money there with the inflation and the other uh, kind of economic factors going on. Yeah. When I speak to it, um, I speak more on a global perspective and, you know, at the end of the day, more hosts were added in Q2 2023 than ever before um, from a global perspective. Now, consumer trends are shifting. So consumers are starting to travel to different places. So what may have been a good investment a couple of years ago may not look like a good investment today because consumers are looking to go to different places. So, I would say from a macro perspective, the marketplace is, is really strong. Consumers are doing really well. Hosts are doing really well. From a micro perspective, it just depends on where your investment may be. And the old rule of real estate, location, 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 it really, really matters. So some individuals may have bought homes in XYZ market, and that specific market may be down a little bit year over year, but other markets are up year over year. So from a macro perspective, the marketplace is strong. And obviously there's pockets that are doing better than others. Do, do you feel like right now, since travel's increased a lot globally, that the U.S. local market is slowing down compared to the, like you're seeing some markets are doing better than others. Is it more of an international presence that's still growing or is it also locally still staying strong? I, I've definitely noticed when I travel overseas, the planes are packed and everything's packed. But then when I travel throughout the U.S., it's actually a little bit less busy in a lot of cities. Oh, really? That's interesting because every time I fly, James, there's never a seat left on the plane. I don't know <laughs> about you, domestic or international. I always somehow end up in you know, uh, 42B on Southwest because I'm in <laughs> Section C, to be honest. Uh, so you know, we are seeing it strong across the board. And you know, as we announced in our last earnings call, the U.S. is still growing. So it, it may be growing in different pockets than it was during COVID. But from a macro perspective mm -hmm. in the US, it is still growing. And obviously, you know, some other places were later uh, to open up after COVID international, for example, people feeling more comfortable going cross border. So that is doing really well. But I would say domestic is also doing well. Hmm. Jesse, there are some pundits, uh, me, who loudly <laughs> believed this year that there was going to be risk of oversupply in the short-term rental market just because we saw, like you said, really rapid acceleration of owners. And I get that like total revenue is probably up, but on a per property basis, are there declines in occupancy rates? You know, I can't speak. What I really would like to speak about uh, is more so Airbnb friendly apartments and where we're seeing occupancy and adoption of that space. So when it comes to broader Airbnb, I think we've kind of disclosed in our earnings call how, how we're doing and I'll stick to that data. And I, I would say it's strong. Obviously some markets may be oversupplied, but where there's supply, usually demand follows. So that's the greatest thing about the marketplace. Uh, supply and demand are kind of imbalanced to a certain degree. And obviously during times of compression, you know, things are more occupied than not. But when it comes to Airbnb friendly marketplace, and maybe we can shift to that conversation, you know, it's really providing an opportunity for renters that haven't historically had the opportunity to host to kind of get their feet wet. When I was looking, uh, I was looking at, you know, uh, bigger pockets today, actually, 
And one of the questions I kept on seeing is, how do I get started? 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 And Airbnb's never made it easier to get started in your journey. Um, and Airbnb Friendly Apartments is really part of that opportunity to grow because you can now host your primary home part-time on Airbnb. Okay, cool. Well, so that is something we did want to talk about. So we can you just explain this to us? This is Airbnb friendly apartments and this is for primary residences exclusively is that is it it's a, is it a different product offering it's a totally different product offering to a certain degree it's really getting back to our roots of airbnb when brian chesky started airbnb in 2008 he started it to really pay his rent uh airbnb has been so successful airbnb has now basically been banned in 45 million rentals across the US. That's how many, uh, the, the overall rental stock in the US. So we wanted to create a product that allowed consumers like Brian when he was 28 to kind of get started in their journey to keep up with the cost of living. So we partnered with some of the largest landlords in the country, Graystar, Equity Residential, UDR, household names, Starwood Capital, Brookfield, so on and so forth. And we now market their buildings to our consumers for 12 month unfurnished rentals. So now consumers can go to Airbnb, find their next 12 month unfurnished rental that embraces and encourages them oh. to host part time. And once they move in, then they can start their host hosting journey. And we've built all the tools to ensure it's actually a primary residence. Uh, not an individual looking to rent a place and you know uh, run a dedicated Airbnb in there. It's really meant for the individual trying to keep up with the cost of living and kind of get their feet wet in their investment journey. So most of you know when I was 28 years old, when I was 35 years old, I lived in an apartment and I was struggling to pay my bills. If I had the opportunity to Airbnb it when I was traveling or when there was a event in town, I could have paid the majority of my rent for that month by hosting one weekend. So it's a really new opportunity. It's really catered to primary home individuals that want to host part-time. Okay. So just, I just want to make sure I understand this. So normal Airbnb people can and still do rent out their primary residence, but this new product is basically, if you're signing a new lease, you can sign a lease with a landlord who has maybe pre-approved you or is, is inclined to allow you to sublet or allow short-term rentals within your unit um, right from the get-go. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So it's really creating equality across asset classes. Most homeowners have the ability to Airbnb or uh, sublet their home if they own it. If you rent it, most leases have a do not sublet clause in them. And there's 45 million rentals in the U.S., which is 35% of the overall housing stock. So if you're a renter today, for the most part, you don't have the same opportunity to capitalize on the benefits of Airbnb that a homeowner would. And so this product is really catered toward the renter that wants the ability to make some extra income when they travel, which is the same as a homeowner today um, that has that opportunity. So it's really opening up and democratizing the idea of Airbnb and rentals that exist today in owned assets. When people are looking at this and they're looking at this kind of product, are, have you seen any developers or just specific buildings really marketing for this too, that they're friendly? Because, you know, I kind of hear this as, you know, it's for owner-occupieds 
So a lot of owner-occupied or people living there as their primary, right, as a renter, they don't want tenants coming in and out around them. But I guess if it's one big community that's all doing it, they're way more open to it. Is is this like entire buildings or is this just more located throughout the specific cities? So high level, all of our partners are starting to market the ability to Airbnb your home part-time on their websites. So if you go to one of go to airbnbfriendly.com and you were to look at one of our partners' buildings, there's a link to their website. So if you look at an equity residential building in Denver uh, called the Theo, they are actively marketing the ability to Airbnb at part-time. With that being said, not everybody in the building does it. It only works for a certain percentage of the building. So what we're really, really focused on is ensuring that the people that are not doing it are having just as good of an experience in the community as the people that are doing it. And, you know, in a certain building, maybe five or 10 or 15% of the residents host on Airbnb. We need to make sure it's a great experience for the other 95, 90 or 85% of residents that do not do it. So there are no dedicated buildings per se that a hundred percent of the people are doing it. It's just providing an amenity to the residents that live there that they're now allowed to do it if they so choose. Jesse, this is a very interesting concept, very clever. Um, And I want to ask you more about it, but I did want to ask you about how, if and how you ensure that it's actually the person's primary residence. Cause I don't, you've probably heard of this concept of like short-term rental arbitrage where people sign leases and then, um, you know, are subletting out and are doing this all over the place. Is there any controls against that? Yeah, hundred percent. So our partners enforce night limits. So let's take, um, you know, San Francisco at the moment, currently you're allowed to host your primary home 90 nights a year in San Francisco. Mm. So our landlords enforce those night limits on the residents and it's virtually impossible to have a rental arbitrage business. If you're only occupied 90 nights a year, it can help really offset the cost of living by hosting 90 nights a year. But the opportunity is really for the landlords to enforce these night limits on the residents to ensure individuals are not doing the rental arbitrage Mm. uh, game that you mentioned, Dave. Smart. The economics just don't prove out. Yeah. Awesome. So who should consider doing this? Obviously, people who want to supplement their income to offset some of their rent payments to, like you said, sort of begin your journey. If you're interested in becoming a short-term rental investor, this sounds like a good first step. But what makes a successful host? Like if you if people are not currently short-term rental hosts, who should consider this line of business? You know, the it's interesting. I always thought it was for the 28-year-old that was traveling a lot and living a flexible lifestyle. We have a single mother of 3 in one of our buildings that is hosting uh on the weekends <laughs> every so every so often to help fund her vacations with her kids. So the use cases are up and down the spectrum from the consumers of bigger podcasts. You're thinking about getting into the real estate investing game in the STR space. There's no better way to test it than doing it on your primary home. So that's obviously one use case. Um, another use case is somebody that travels for work a lot, or if you live in a market like Denver and there's a big convention in town, you know, you can go up to the mountains and pay for the entire trip. So it's across the board, the use cases uh, of individuals that do this from, 
you know, the single mother of three, we have a active duty military in San Diego. She's hosting to pay off her student loans and actually use the money to create uh, a new business, a new, she created a fitness studio for herself, um, that she's now doing it. So it's up and down the spectrum and to get started, it's actually really, really easy. Airbnb has launched a bunch of new, uh, features and tools called Airbnb setup and other things. And, uh, you can easily get started in these buildings and our, and our partners in these buildings help the residents get started with hosting and you kind of learn what works and doesn't work because not every market is the same. Consumers want different things for different markets. So getting started uh, is number one and using Airbnb setup to do that. And then you learn, you iterate and things come up over time, depending on the demand uh, use of, of your unit. This is a very interesting concept. I've heard this touched on over the years, but it's kind of like the pre house hack, like what a lot of people do, especially with the, the short term rental was they were optimizing these first time home buyer loans, right? They can get into a property with 3%, 3.5% down, or sometimes even zero down state farm programs. And so that allowed a lot of access for investors or new people to become investors over the last, you know, four years. But then as rates have gone up, the mortgage payment won't work, uh, and I know the cost of rent is way or cost of rent's a lot lower in major metro cities than the cost of purchase. And so, this is: are you seeing a more of a trend right now? Because a traditional short term rentals just don't mathematically work out, and B, I mean, if you think about like the average condo, let's say in like Seattle, is going to be like six hundred grand. Um, your down payment on that, even with a low down, is going to be eighteen to twenty five thousand dollars. Whereas you can probably rent that with first, last, and deposit and get into the deal for six thousand, which will increase the cash on cash return. Is that where you're seeing like some demand for this jump up because you just can't traditionally do it with that FHA loan in a lot of metro markets right now? You know, I would say demand is coming from a lot of sources right now. You know, it is basically cheaper to rent in almost every market in the U.S. than it is to buy because uh, of where interest rates are and down payments. And so this is an opportunity for renters that aren't able to buy yet to try to save some incremental money to get them into their home in the future. We've had uh, a few of our hosts that started this way, and then they used the extra money they earned to actually buy a home that they also host, by the way. So it is I, I don't, the, the house hack. It's 100%. I wish this was around in 2010 when I was struggling to save money for a down payment on a home. It was so hard. And that's, you know, 2000. And I, and I was blessed with low interest rate environment when I bought a home in like 2015. It's so hard to save money for a down payment. And this is a great way to kind of house hack that. And you can use the money to potentially get into that ownership, but that is definitely, uh, you know, helping adoption of the program is the imbalances right now in the cost to own versus the cost to rent across the U.S. All right, Jesse, I, I only have one short-term rental, but the way I can mentally deal with it is that it's not my stuff in the house. So how do how do people deal with this? Like if it's their primary residence and they're living there, you know, like how do people protect themselves or rent out something that they're also living in? Yeah, that's always a question we get. So from a host perspective, you know, a lot of our hosts uh, store their their special belongings, whatever that may be. And our partners have storage lockers. So our partners do offer storage lockers in a lot of buildings to the hosts or our hosts lock a closet. You know, so small, simple things can really enhance 
your security. And if something were to go wrong, which by the way, UDR is a large partner of ours, public great. They've had over 10,000 nights in their portfolio so far. It was zero issues. So it's kind of like the boogeyman in the closet kind of concern. We do have protections if for on some unforsaken reason, something happens uh, like air cover where we protect our hosts in, in situations like that. Jesse, how much of this strategy, I mean, it sounds like a very interesting strategy and hopefully it creates mutual benefit between guests and hosts. How much of this is a reaction to some of the regulations around short-term rentals that are mostly focusing on allowing primary residence rentals and in many places, not everywhere, obviously, disallowing or discouraging sort of the investor-driven short-term rental, taking up all the supply, I guess. I wouldn't say it's reactive. I would say it's proactive. Where regulation seems to be going with some of this primary home thing, that is beneficial to the program to a certain degree, because that's the nuance of the program, but really the integrity of it with or without regulation, because our partners still have enforced night limits in markets that do not have night limits. They still do that is really to create affordability for renters in today's market. Cause even though it's cheaper to rent than it is to buy, it's still really expensive to rent. And that really has to do with just the lack of overall housing. And we just need to build more housing, mm-hmm. but it is really helping these renters afford their homes. Uh, and we, we, we we're really focused on that at Airbnb. And Dave, sometimes you just got to use the cash flow to buy new things. You know, you're saving yeah, a ton of money. Yeah. Oh, I, that's, it, that, that's honestly <laughs> what I do. I just like, I'm like, this is not my house. This is purely an investment. I'm just going to take the cash flow and I'm going to buy a new shovel because someone decided they wanted my snow shovel. I don't know. <laughs> Jesse, as you guys are expanding this out, what regions like are you guys really focusing on or is there certain areas where like this doesn't really make sense right like it's every asset class it it can work in every market but sometimes you avoid different markets like flipping for me like i I avoid different types of markets just because of certain things that impact the deal and i'm like it's just i could do it there but it's just not worth it what regions do you think do you do you feel this is going to be more affordable housing areas or more mostly focused on those metro expensive areas where that $100,000 $100,000 a year to $150,000 a year renter is trying to subsidize it, right? Because even even if you're making, you know, back in the day, if you're making 100 grand a year in college, or at least when I was in college, I thought I was rich. Now you need four roommates. And so do you see this more growing in the metro areas or every type of region? You know, what's really interesting about that is, is it's totally different than house flipping. And I, I want to make that clear is because house flipping is so localized here. It really does work everywhere. I think the question is, what is success? And so we have buildings in Addison, Texas, which is suburban Dallas, and there's roughly 30 hosts in one of these buildings, and they're making pretty good money relative to their rent. We also have buildings uh, right in the heart of the gas lamp district in San Diego, uh, roughly the same amount of hosts. But what's interesting is rents also kind of ebb and flow based on urban location, city center, suburban, so on and so forth. So the percentage of money one can make is kind of relative to the location they're in. So it really works everywhere. We have hosts in Addison, Texas. We have hosts in downtown Miami. We have hosts in downtown San Francisco. And we have hosts in Cleveland. So it's it's across 
the board. Um, and it's not really a flip, if you will. It's trying to make incremental income to go buy a shovel like Dave's doing uh, for his Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, I was more talking about like different asset classes. Just, you know, sometimes it's just not worth it as much. Like I'm a firm believer, Airbnbs, like location, location, location. If you're going to start a short-term rental business in itself, it should be in an area that has demand or a reason people are coming there, not just to do it to do it, because we have seen that over the last four years. People just went and bought a property because they could. But you know, as this is also not just be like subsidizing your rental, this is an investment strategy. Build up cash flow so you can build up some extra cash to go buy your next house. I think it's a great it's a great pre-step for house hacking. But depending on how fast you want to move and depending on what you rate as success, like that's going to tell you where to go. Yeah. Because if you want to get out of the renter pool, but you want to be in the best possible area, you want to focus on like what if you were trying like if I was a tenant right now going, hey, I want to subsidize this and buy in two years, like from your guys' kind of analytics is like being in those metro. It, it doesn't matter. Or is it more like those metro areas? are more attractive because rents are a little bit lower versus purchasing power, you know, or there's a bigger gap between there. They can cash flow a little bit better and save more money versus affordable. You know, a lot of the affordable markets cost of rent and cost of buy are very similar. So there's not as much spread. Um, whereas I'm looking at the rent is the spread on this. What's actually really interesting is we've built a custom calculator for this program. So we've kind of outlined what rents are for each one of the buildings and what you could make by host, hosting part-time. So so a consumer can go to a market because a consumer might not move from Dallas to Miami to potentially make an extra 500 bucks a month or whatever it may be, just making up locations. A consumer lives where a consumer lives. So he or she can go to Airbnb friendly apartments and look at our custom calculator and then kind of determine which building is right for them. So obviously if you live next to American airlines arena in Dallas, you'll probably make more money than you do in Addison, Texas, but then you have to take into the cost into account the cost of the rent in that building as well, which may be higher. So this custom calculator really helps our consumers understand what the underlying 12 month unfurnished rent is and what they could potentially make by hosting on Airbnb. So I would just recommend that consumers of, uh, of the show go and play with it and kind of see what the data is telling them because the data doesn't lie. The data is based on historical demand in the market, and we're pulling in the actual rents from our partners' PMS feeds. So it's really interesting. I mean, personally, you know, it also depends on their lifestyle. Do they want to be closer to the family? Do they want to be next to the convention center? X, Y, Z. Awesome. Jesse, well, thank you for, for telling us all about this. I have to ask, as you're, with your very broad job, is there anything else interesting coming down the pike that uh, our, our audience should know about in addition to the Airbnb-friendly apartments? You know, there's definitely other verticals we're looking at. Uh, we did our first ever Airbnb branded um, condominium in Miami with the related group wow. where consumers can go and buy a condo, a second home and Airbnb it. So they know up front that this condominium or vacation rental allows Airbnb and encourages Airbnb. Hmm. So that's something we've already done. We've done a couple of those uh, developments in Miami and there's a lot more under the hood that we're going to announce. I just can't announce it right now as a public company, but we are definitely expanding the concept. And Dave, hopefully I can come back on the show and we can talk about what we announced. All right, fine. You're going to drip it out slowly. And so I we, apologize. We would love to have you back, but uh, we won't make force you into any SEC violations. <laughs> 
Thank you. My comms team really appreciates that, Dave. Yes. <laughs> so Jesse, is there somewhere people should find out about it? Do you just go on Airbnb and you can look for apartment, like look for these places like you look for a traditional apartment? You can go on Airbnb and you can go to the host landing page and find Airbnb friendly apartments. The easiest way to find it is honestly just to Google Airbnb friendly apartments and it pops up at the top of the page and you can learn more. If you're a consumer, you can look for your next rental that allows you to host. Or if you're a building owner, you can get in contact with my team through uh, Airbnb friendly apartments and we can discuss how it could benefit your program. All right, Jesse Stein, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right. Well, big thanks to Jesse. Um, before James, I have some questions for you. But before that, I just want to clarify. I, I asked uh, Jesse a question about occupancy rates because it's something I always want to know. And he explained after we were done recording that he can't tell us that because literally today, like within a few hours of recording this, is Airbnb's as you know, investor relations call. So he can't disclose that information before the the investor call. It is an SEC rule. So that's why he was not able to answer that question. Uh, we will put a link to the transcript to Airbnb's earnings call so you can check that out. Uh, I will just tell you that anecdotally, um, we do see some evidence that uh, occupancy per unit is down, but revenue is still doing pretty well. So we'll be interesting to see what Airbnb records this week. James, what do you think of this uh, concept of Airbnb-friendly apartments? You know, I, I really do like it because as we go through in different phases, because we've been hearing for the last 12, 18 months, I think I've probably said it, that Airbnb is really tough to get done right now with the rates as high as they are and the pricing yep. has not came down, right? Meeting home prices creeping up, rates are up. It's hard to do. So this is just a way for if you want to get going and saving on your housing costs, that traditional house hacking method is you can get in and have a lower payment. Mm -hmm. The lower payment, which is your rent, is going to allow you to actually cash flow it to make it work. Yep. So I do like it. It's about adjusting how you do the investment to continue for it to growth. Like Airbnb is not dying. It's just being changed right now as rates are too high. I think it's a great idea because, you know, a lot of the STR regulations right now are in response to really high rent and uh, the lack of affordable housing and the sh uh, housing shortage. And just to be clear, even with the increase of supply in the market, Airbnbs and short-term rentals make up about 1% of housing units in the United States. So that obviously impacts people and some markets more than other, but it's not like dominating the housing market. But this seems like a really interesting and good balance, right? It helps maintain supply of Airbnbs, which obviously there's demand for. People want to stay at Airbnbs. So having them go away altogether wouldn't be good because that would probably just send hotel rates skyrocketing. But at the same time, you're not taking up anyone's, you know, a potential rental away from someone else. So this just seems like a really interesting way to adapt to ongoing regulation changes. Yeah, and people want more affordability in their lives. And so giving them that option of bringing, I mean, it's it's like credit card debt's at all times high. Everybody's still spending a lot and things are crunching them. So I think this is a great, you know, a great concept. And, and it's a matter of making sure, I will be curious to see what big buildings will think of this. Like, is yeah. there going to be more regulation sweeping through because tenants will complain? That's interesting. Yeah, because like, 
The people, so you're in a building with a hundred units, like if 20 or 30 people do this, are the 70 people who aren't doing it going to be annoyed by the, all the short-term rentals? Yeah. Like, will that building have a higher vacancy rate, which then yeah. they're going to say no. And so, it, it, but there's always a season, right? It could work for 24 months and then things change and then you got to pivot again. I, I just think this would work really well. And like, you know, I, I have very limited short term rental experience, just one, but in a, a big problem in a lot of vacation towns is the lack of affordable housing for people, you know, who work in the tourism industry, for example. This could work really well, um, for, for places like that. So, um, I bet it will catch on, but it, yeah, I guess it, it will be, uh, market by market, building by building, uh, experiment. Uh, well, you know what, Dave? I have my first short-term rental coming live. I haven't had one in seven, eight years. Mine's coming live in two I weeks. I was going to say, I was going to ask you because you own a real estate business in every strategy and every sector of real estate investing, but I've never heard you talk about a uh, short-term rental. It's just, it's a lot more work, you know, and, and I believe in it. It's it's kind of like when people are like, I don't want to flip because it's a lot of work. I just, we have a lot of doors and so we just manage it in a traditional way, but there is a purpose, you know, I'm, I'm going to be doing it. I bought a duplex in Bellevue. I trans, I travel a lot. I'll probably be in there 12 nights a month. Nice. And the other nights I'm rent I'm renting out. I mean, hotels are all time highs right now there, and I think I can get two three hundred bucks a night. Wait, dude, you can't do this. You can't do it. This was the only part of real estate investing where I was more experienced than you because I had one and you had zero. <laughs> and now if you if you get one, we're going to be even, and I have nothing on you. But that means I still have to operate it in an effective way. So I need yes. I need to get I I need to be coached first. All right. Well, good luck with that. It's, I mean, it sounds like great. Obviously, you're traveling back and forth. It's like a perfect way to to way to do it. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully this was helpful. And remember to join us again for our second episode this week, where we're going to be joined by Vacasa to talk about some of the best markets to buy a short-term rental in for the following year, 2024. James, thank you for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down 
by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.